So Father, open our hearts today. We want to hear your word. Give us fresh ability to understand what you are saying. Even scriptures we've read before, God, just open our understanding because your word is alive. And you're speaking to your church, God, every day. I pray today, Lord, as we look at these principles about leadership, that you would unfold your truth in our hearts, God, and that we would not only be inspired and encouraged, that we would also be convicted, that you would change our hearts, that you would bring us, Father, to decision points of obedience to you. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We're going to talk about honoring God's call to leadership, and we're going to look at what many call Korah, who was one of the leaders during the time of Moses. He was a Levite, uh, and Korah's rebellion against Moses and really against God. It's imperative that the church understands the principles that God has given regarding leadership and submission to authority to the church. These are not just things that people in past generations needed to know. We need to know it. And there are abuses in authority. There are right and wrong ways to carry authority. And if we understand these principles, these aren't just for the church. These work in family relationships. They work in business context. Uh, We need to understand these principles. So I'm going to share some things today that I think can be life-changing. Not because they're my words, they're his ideas. And we need to to put these into, into play. Some of the questions as we, as we move into this today. What does it mean to be a leader called by God? What is the call of God? We talk about being called by the Lord. When I was 12 years old, I was called to be a pastor. I had no idea what that meant. And I had no idea that the warfare that was going to come against me as a kid uh, in the next couple years, the enemy literally tried to destroy me because of God's call. You don't think that happens? What happens when Moses was born? Pharaoh tried to destroy all the children. We need to get a clue of how the enemy works. He doesn't play fair. He goes after kids. And that's why some of our kids have had a hard time because God sees the potential in this generation. He wants to raise up a whole new generation in leadership and the enemy has opposed them. What what does God require of his leaders? How should God's leaders be honored? Are there limits on leaders? What do you do when a leader is out of control? What do you do when you're in a situation where you have a leader that isn't in alignment with God? What are the consequences of opposing God's anointed leadership? We're going to answer all those questions in the next five minutes. No, I'm just kidding. This week, we're going to look at principles from the story of Korah's rebellion. And uh, it was a leadership crisis for the nation of Israel, this young nation. They had just left the land of Egypt, and they're marching through the desert. They could have taken a short route, but because of their disobedience, God takes them south into the desert. I think it's called the desert of sin, which is, that's kind of foreboding if you look at that. It's not a good place to go. Uh, so before we do that, I want to remind you, I've had people say, is it, is it good to read the Old Testament? Is it good to, you better believe it is. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. It says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and the rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness." 
These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking. They indulged in pagan revelry. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. You hear the warning here? The Lord is saying God has given us the Old Testament record so that future generations don't fall into the same mistakes. In verse 9, he says, Nor shall we be put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and died from uh, snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us, and they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So who's this talking to? We need to take heed. And we say, well, those stories were 3,000 years ago. There are transcultural, transtemporal principles that are as true today as they were then. God's principles are the same. God has not changed. He wants us to grasp these principles and uh, to stand firm in Him. There are four primary strategies that we're going to look at over the next couple weeks. Rebellion or direct opposition against leadership. Seduction or temptation. And these are ways that the enemy or people that are being motivated by the enemy come against leadership. If you are a leader in a company, if you're a leader in a corporate or a management situation, you'll see these principles work in your company the same way that they work in the church. Because we're people. We have that in common. To undermine or subversion. Intimidation. And we're going to talk about how, for instance, the spirit of Jezebel moves from seduction to intimidation. She works in both of those, and we're going to expose how that spirit works. I was thinking about Dave Buring's word to us two years ago. He talks about the five Ds, about how the enemy attacks, and these are similar. They kind of work along with this list of four strategies. Remember, he talked about distortion, distraction, discouragement, deceive, and divide. We need to be careful. The Bible says that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour And we need to be on our guard. We need to be aware. And uh, we need to be ready to do battle when uh, the enemy comes against us. So let's look, with that being said, let's take a look at Numbers 16. We're not going to read all of the chapter, but we're going to read a good part of it. One day, Korah, son of Issar, a descendant of Korath, son of Levi, conspired with uh, Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth from the tribe of Reuben. They incited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, you've gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? So understand here, this is a group of leaders that are challenging Moses and Aaron, saying, what right do you have to be leaders over us? We're all holy. When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. Why do you think Moses did that? Because he understood leadership principles. He knew it was at stake. He had seen God face to face. The rest of them had not at this point. Then he said to Korah and his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy, and the Lord will allow those, only those he selects, to enter his own presence. 
Korah, you and all your followers must prepare your incense burners, light fires in them tomorrow, and burn incense before the Lord. And then we will see whom the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites, doesn't it seem, does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Korah, he has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? The Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliah, but they replied, We refuse to come to you. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey? Wait a minute. In Egypt, they were killing their children. How does Egypt now become a land of milk and honey? I love the Keith Green song, Eating Leeks and Onions by the Nile. Ooh, what breath, but dining out in style. You know, I remember they were singing about the, the great days and times they had in Egypt. It's deception. How quickly they had forgotten the oppression that they were slaves in Egypt. And now they're talking about Egypt as a land of milk and honey. Ho! So you brought us here to kill us in the wilderness. And by the way, who brought them? Who led them into the wilderness? Verse 14, what's more, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey, and you haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool these men? We're not going to come. We won't come. Why weren't they in the promised land, by the way? Yeah, they kept disobeying God. So the Lord said, I can't bring you in until you guys are going to line your hearts with me and trust me. Well, verse 15, Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, do not accept their grain offerings. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, and I've never heard a single one of them. And Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers must come here tomorrow and present yourselves before the Lord. Aaron also will be here. You and each of your 250 followers must prepare an incense burner and put incense on it so you can all present them before the Lord. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. So each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit the fire and placed incense on it. They all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron. I want you to just reflect back on what we talked about last week. What is God's protocol when there is broken relationship or offense in the community? When you feel someone has sinned against you, what do you do? You go directly to them. So I want to ask you here, do you see that Korah went to Moses and said, Moses, I'm having a hard time with your leadership and I need to talk to you privately. Instead, what did he do? He went to the people. This is a principle we need to understand right now in our culture. If our leaders in our land really wanted to get along and they wanted to work out a compromise and understand one another, instead of taking things to the press, instead of going public and trying to stir up people against them, they would go privately to one another as people of integrity. And that's the principle. That's the way God designs. It's a relational-based, honor-based leadership thing that you need to do. If you ever have a problem with me as a leader, what do you do? You call everybody in the church and say, Pastor Joe's acting like Moses. He's brought us out into the desert again. <laughs> Years ago, let me stop here. I'll get a little bit ahead. 
our first, uh, my first associate pastor, I love the guy and I still do, and we later reconciled, but he came to me and he was 21 years old. <clears throat> so you can imagine, I mean, Pastor Jeff is what, 32, 33? This guy was 12 years younger than that. Wonderful musician, wonderful worship leader. And he came to me one day and he said, I feel like I'm supposed to be a co-pastor with you. I said, well, I am uh, 40 years old, and uh, this is when our church first started. I said, I'm 40 years old, and I'm the youngest of our elders. And I said, I really have plans for you. I think God's going to raise you up. I said, but I don't think now is the time. And because we were talking privately, I felt I can care for him and hopefully guide him through what he's feeling right now. He said, well, you don't understand. I already met with the elder board. At that moment, everything took on a new dimension, and I found out he had been talking to people all over the church about how he needed to be a leader, and I was holding him down. I don't know if I've ever shared this with the church. We've had some rough seasons as we've gone through life in the church together. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, I really wanted to redeem this situation, but I, I can't work with this because you haven't followed the protocols that God has set up for problems in leadership. Do you understand what I'm saying here? At this point, it was no longer something that he and I could discuss and pray about and work out. And he ended up leaving our church and took 45 people with him to Christ Community Chapel. They all left as a group, and it hurt our young church uh, very much. It was devastating. It took us almost two and a half years to recover. Later, years later, I saw him at a funeral, and we embraced one another. There were words of forgiveness and repentance that were spoken. I gave him a big hug, and I said, I said, you, there were some people that actually were speaking to you that deceived you. And he said, yeah. He said, I was really under deception. And it was a wonderful healing moment. But how I wish that I could have gone back 10 years in time and redeemed that situation. Imagine if Korah had come to Moses and talked to him alone, but that's not the way it unfolds here. In your work situations, what happens if the people that are under you, that report to you, uh, go to everybody else in the company and they start complaining about who you are? What's going to happen? Can you redeem that situation? So as, as the people of God, we need to learn, people around us may not walk in integrity, but we need to learn to walk in integrity and carry things the way that God calls us to do. Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. O oh God, they pleaded, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all people when only one man sins? Look at the heart of Moses and Aaron here. They weren't perfect. We're going to talk about that in a moment. As a matter of fact, Moses has a problem with anger. So much so that he strikes the rock twice later in the story, and he doesn't enter into the promised land. And we're going to find out why that happened. These weren't perfect leaders, but they sure had a heart of compassion toward the people of God. They knew that God's judgment was going to fall, and they said, Lord, please have mercy on these people. A good leader does not rise up when people rise up against him or her. A good leader says, Lord, have mercy. Can you redeem this situation? And the Lord said to Moses, Then tell all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dothan, and Abiram. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dothan and Abiram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you'll be, you will be destroyed for their sins. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the entrance of their tents together with their wives and children and little ones. 
And Moses said, This is how you will know the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done, for I have not done them on my own. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you'll know these men have shown contempt for the Lord. He had hardly finished speaking these words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men, along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive to the grave along with all their belongings, and the earth closed over them, and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. And all the people around them fled when they had heard their screams, the earth will swallow us too. So, verse 35 It says, Then fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up the 250 men who were offering incense. Then the people woke the next morning, not fearing the Lord. So people saw this judgment of their leaders, but guess what? They continued to complain. So go down to verse 41. But the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron. By the way, complaining is anti-worship. You know that? Anytime you're complaining... You're not moving towards a solution. You're just grieving the the, the Lord. Okay? He says, you have killed the Lord's people. So now they're blaming Moses and Aaron for killing the leaders, as if Moses could have made the ground open up. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw the cloud had covered it. In other words, the glory of God had come down in their midst. And it says, And the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw the cloud had covered it, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from all these people, so I can instantly destroy them. But Moses again falls, and Aaron, they fall face down on the ground. And Moses and Aaron said, Quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on the altar. He's wanting to make atonement for these people. Verse 47, Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people, but the plague had already begun to strike down the people. And Aaron burned the incense and purified the people and stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died in that plague, in addition to those who had died in the affair involving Korah. Then because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tabernacle. This is the kind of story you want to read before you go to bed at night. And these are one of those stories in the, in the Bible that people that have never read the Bible read and go, whoa, what's this all about? And I had some questions. I mean, I, you know, as a young Christian, I read through the Bible and I go, God, did you have to put that in there? I'm having a really hard time with this. But, you know, you can go to God and you can talk to him like that. So, Lord, what does this mean? You know what the Lord spoke to me years ago? He said, these people saw my glory with their very eyes. They saw my miracles and I held them to a higher account. Thank God we're in an age of grace. That God is very merciful through the blood of Christ. If you want to know about how the wrath of God was satisfied, we sing that hymn through Christ. He's the one that stands between us and death now. And thanks be to God that the Lord brought heaven down like we sang this morning. When we couldn't make our way up there, he brought heaven down to us. Let's talk about some principles. Let's just break this down real quickly. There are several principles I want to share with you. Number one, everyone has a place and role in serving in the body of Christ, in the church, uh, but not all of us are called to be leaders. All of us are called to find a place and to serve. 
Korah had a partial truth in what he was saying to Moses. God did want all Israel to be holy to him, but not all of them were called as leaders. Not all of them had seen God's face. We are each unique and designed by God. We each have a place and roles to serve. We need to do our part and encourage others to do their part as well. Notice Moses says to the Levites here, he said, aren't you content with the job God has given you? He's given you a glorious calling. Now you want the priesthood as well. Sometimes in the church, we're not content to be and and do what God has called us to be and do, and we want what someone else is doing. I want that job. I want to be the worship leader. I want to be the pastor. Every one of us needs to fulfill what God has called us to do. Some of us are up front. Others are doing work that is indispensable in places. There are intercessors in this church, the Lord has told me, that nobody sees, and they're going to get their reward when they stand before the Lord in heaven because they're amazing people that pray and seek God's heart. Do you understand what I'm saying here? We need to do our part, but we need to also honor others and the part that they are called to do. We don't always understand how that works. Number two, God calls and empowers leaders. God has appointed leaders in the church. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, He gives each a unique mantle of calling and authority. Not everyone is called to be a leader. Leadership requires special sacrifices and responsibilities. Jesus began by choosing the 12 and then the 70 in His ministry. People say Jesus didn't really have boundaries. When we start the boundaries class, people say, well, Jesus loved everybody. He didn't have boundaries. His love has no boundaries. But he was very selective in who he walked with. I'm sure that bothered some people. Why did he choose Peter? And why is John always sitting by him? Okay, John probably needed extra hugs. He was a young guy. The apostles, after Christ ascended into heaven, went on to establish godly leadership and authority in each place they birthed the church. Acts 14.3, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed, and that word appointed can either mean to choose or elect, which is a challenge to Bible uh, interpreters because that word can go either way. It looks like in Acts, they, they allowed the people to choose their deacons. It says, choose out from among you. Seven people. In other places, it looks like they're appointed by the apostolic team, but leaders are chosen. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Titus 1.5, Paul says to Timothy, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If we didn't have leaders in the church, we would have chaos. But there's a right way to hold leadership and there's a wrong way to hold leadership. So let's talk a little bit more about leaders in the church. First thing we need to know is, and this is number three, leaders will be held to a higher standard. Need to go back a slide. Leaders will be held to a higher standard. James 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. What does that mean? That means someday I will stand before the Lord and give an account for what I'm teaching you today. I'm going to be held accountable before the Lord for what I teach you. If I leave things out, I'll be held accountable. If I teach you wrong things, I'll be held accountable. If I make mistakes and don't repent of them publicly before you, I will be held accountable. I don't know if that sobers you. It sobers me. I walk in the fear of the Lord. If you don't have the fear of the Lord in your life right now, then you're not moving in obedience and and, and the Lordship of Christ. To fear the Lord means you know 
then in a very way, when you give your life to him, your life is forfeit. You've died to yourself and you're alive to him. You give yourself to him. But as a teacher, you will be held accountable for your words. As a leader, you'll be held accountable for your decisions. You've heard me tell the story about my son years ago that said, and when he was about 12 years old, it said, Dad, what gives you the right to tell us how to live? I said, that's a really good question. I said, actually, I hope the day comes when you're going to be driven by the principles in your heart that I've helped build in you. But until you're mature enough to do that, God has put me in authority as your father over the family. And someday I'm going to stand before God as a father and say, this is how I dispatched my uh, responsibility to raise my son in the knowledge of the Lord. He said, whoa, dad, I didn't know that. I said, yeah, I said, every person in authority on earth is under God's authority, whether they know it or not. You remember what I said, if I'm going to write one letter, if I get one letter to write to every political official, it's God sees you and he's going to call you to account. (laughs) Right? Because all of us, whether we know it or not, he's the one who created all things. He is the author. He's the one who made it. And that's where authority comes from. Authority comes from. Corny, isn't it? You won't forget it, though. It's true, though. He's the author. He is the ultimate authority. And we will answer to him. To rebel against a godly leader is to rebel against God himself. If a, if a leader is aligned with God and has the heart of God, and you rebel against them, you're rebelling against God. And that's what Moses warns the people. He said, you think you're rebelling against me, you're actually rebelling against God. You say, but yeah, but what if the leader's not perfect? There's not a perfect leader. Never has been, never will be. I don't want to offend you, and I don't want to let you down, but there are going to be times when I will be a little bit short, coming up short in what God wants me to do. I try not to do that, but I'm in process, too, to grow in Christ. All I can say is what Paul says is forgetting what lies behind and looking forward to the goal. Follow me, because I'm pressing on to that goal to be like Christ. And I've got a lot of work to do in me. If you want to look for my weaknesses and, and rebel against me, You'll probably do better to go to a different church where you can live with the illusion, at least for a couple years, that you have a perfect pastor until you see his faults too. But you're going to have to keep moving. And you think, that's kind of funny that I say that. I know people that do that. And they never grow up because they never deal with the real issues because it's always about someone else and they never deal with their own hard issues. Is that honest? I've seen it happen and it breaks my heart. I've seen people go from church to church to church and they never grow up. To undermine leadership leads to a swift judgment. God is merciful, but if you stand in the way of the Lord wants to do, it brings judgment. Here, here's what the Lord has shared with me. He says, since I hold, since God holds leaders to higher account and they have a weightier judgment, to undermine a leader brings the judgment of that leader on the person. The day that the Lord spoke that to me leveled me because I wasn't the leader. I was rebelling against another leader. I have leaders in my life, too. I have people that speak into my life that I need to honor. And I spend time with them. And there are times where they'll say, Joe, I think you're, you're missing something here. Don't ever walk with a leader that is not walking with other leaders. Amen. You hear what I'm saying there? I'm talking about spiritual leaders. If a person is a leader to themselves and they have an independent spirit, they will end up hurting you. The fourth principle, and we're almost done. There is a right way and a wrong way to appeal to leaders when you feel they are wrong. 
Now, was Moses ever corrected by people in his congregation? There's a great example here. Moses' father-in-law comes to Moses and said, Moses, now you got to know that there was probably personal offense here because Moses' father-in-law saw Moses neglecting his wife and grandchildren. And he comes to Moses and he says, Moses, you sit in the courts of the people from morning till night and you're a judge and you hear all these cases. What you need to do is you need to appoint other leaders to help you share in the courts of judgment to help people walk with uh, integrity. He said, you can't do this alone. Did he go out and tell all the people, Moses is wrong and I'm here to correct him? He went to Moses privately. And guess what? Moses listens to him. I believe that Moses' father-in-law was sent by God to be a help to him. And here's a word for leaders. Whether you are a business owner or a manager or you're working in a classroom or whatever, there are people that God will send to you and they will give you hard words. If you don't listen to them, you will have a painful process of learning by experience and listening to the wisdom that, of, pe- of people that God has sent to you. Okay? There are people in this church that have spoken things to me, and I thought, you know what? I really need to listen to that. Mike, I remember something you said to me a while ago. You said, Pastor Joe, he said, you have a virtue that can become a fault if you don't watch for this. I don't know if you remember saying this to me. You are so loyal that sometimes you hang on to relationships too long and you don't confront the people because of your loyalty. You don't see their faults, and you need to be aware the Lord is speaking to you. I listen to you. And there were a couple issues in my life that I needed to respond. God sends people that are part of your ministry to you. And I think that's what happens. That's the good thing that happens in Moses' life. Remember Noah's sons. Now Noah was the godliest man in his generation. God chose him literally to save the world. He is remembered as one of the godliest men and leaders in the entire Old Testament, thousands of years. Moses, later in his life, his wife passes away. Apparently, he's in a very vulnerable state. He's planted a vineyard, probably not very familiar with wine and alcohol and fermentation, and he drinks too much wine. And he ends up drunk, laying on the floor of his tent. This mighty man, who was the most righteous man in his generation, I've got to tell you right now that this messes with some people's theology. His sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, have an opportunity to minister to their dad, and two of them decide to back into his tent and cover him with a blanket so that when he wakes up, he doesn't realize that he has scandalized his family by laying there drunk and naked. Ham, his one son, mocks him and makes fun of him. And the Lord says a judgment fell on Ham because of that, and because of that, he ends up serving his brothers. Pretty heavy duty, isn't it? There are moments in the life of a leader, and some of you have people in the businesses you work in, Some of you have leaders in different ways that you interact with. There's a time to cover and uphold leaders in their moments of weakness. And I'm not talking about covering sin that needs to be exposed. But I'm talking about standing with people. 
And sometimes we need to go to our leaders and say, hey, I, I got you on this. I covered you on this, but we need to talk. You can't, you can't keep drinking all that stuff that you're making in the vineyard out there. Okay. Another uh, example of this is Moses. Later in Moses' life, do you remember when he was old and they were in the midst of a battle? And when Moses would raise his staff, the people of Israel would win. And when his arms got tired and they went down, they would start losing. So what happens, the other leaders gathered around Moses in a beautiful allegorical, it was real to them, but it's allegorical to us today. They all raised Moses' arms. And they stood there together. It took the whole team of leaders. And that should be a message to us today. We learned this last week in the First Thessalonians study. Who wrote First Thessalonians? Paul, right? It says Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Because Paul always thought in terms of teamwork and working together as a team. We miss that. Moses needed somebody to lift his arms. And sometimes leaders need you to stand in and lift their arms. There are other times when leaders need to be challenged and they need to be removed. And it's heartbreaking when that happens. But you need to go through proper channels in dealing with leadership or the sins of the leader and the judgment of the leader will come on you. These are principles out of the Word of God. Does this make sense? Yes. And by the way, this, the whole thing about Noah and his sons, I think this is a message to us too about our senior parents. At times, those that have been... I'm sorry, this is real personal with me right now. It was um, a real privilege to hold my dad as he died. You know what I was thinking at that moment? I was thinking about the whole year. My parents weren't ready to become parents. They got a call and they said, you've got an adopted baby. They had nothing. They put me in a drawer. They pulled a drawer out of the bureau and they, they didn't even have any furniture or baby clothes or diapers. So my dad's out. They didn't have pampers back then. So he's out in the middle of the night borrowing diapers from the neighbors. My mom said my dad put his hand on me for a year and had me sleep next to their bed because he was afraid I would stop breathing. When our parents become old, we need to cover them. That's something that's lost in our culture. What we want to do is we want to put people away. There's a spirit of rebellion in our world right now. And it breaks my heart to see what leaders are doing and what they're modeling in government. When I see leaders getting together privately and saying, we're going to stop going to the press and we're going to work out a compromise together and we're going to do something together, then I know that people are starting to get the heart of God. But this attacking people in the press is not working towards resolve. It's demonic. Yes. And we need to pray for a breakthrough in our country because until people turn to God, we're on a wrong path. Yeah. These principles that I'm sharing with you about leadership work in families. They work in business. They work in government. They work everywhere. This is the way God wants us to lead. 1 Timothy 5, it says, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. In other words, we need to honor and take care of our leaders. Those who work deserve their pay. The New Living Translation just puts it right out there. It says, Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. These are New Testament principles about leadership. 
Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. When there is sin in the life of a leader and they are compromised, it needs to be exposed so that the whole church can see that leaders are held accountable. By, by God's grace, I hope that never happens with me, but there are things in place in our Constitution that allow for our elders to do that if that never ever needs to happen because leaders need to be accountable too. It says this will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. And then he says, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. That whole section is on leadership. I don't know if you ever saw the context there. That's what it's talking about. 1 Thessalonians 5, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholeheartedly love uh, because of their work and live peacefully with each other. And then finally, Hebrews 13, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. The Old Old Testament principles bear out in the New Testament as well. It says, give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. 95% of the people I've pastored over the last uh, 20, 21 years here at River of Life, I've pastored them with joy. But there's been a 5% that have created a lot of sorrow. Because they've done things, they've been bad kids. (laughs) And most of the time, it's not just me. They're hurting other people, and I have to step in and try to stop it, and that's hard. Over the years, I've had people threaten to kill me. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, sometimes you don't know what happens with leaders. I've had to step into places and speak things, and I've had people come to me and say, how can you treat somebody that way? And I couldn't answer them because I couldn't share the privileged information I had because sometimes that's the way leadership works. And I just felt like I needed to share that with you. And the good news is we don't have any leadership crisis in the church, so I'm not sharing this in reaction to anything. These are principles that we need to understand. It says, give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That certainly would not be for your benefit. In other words, if you grieve the leaders that God has sent, there will be consequences for you as well. How do we respond to this today? I said, Lord, what do you want to call us to today? And the Lord said, there are people here that you have done this in the past. You've grieved a leader, or you've risen up, or you've gossiped, or you've slandered. Can we just take a moment to ask God to forgive us? For some of you, you've been the leader, whether it's your business or whatever, and you've had people rise up against you, and it's left wounds in your heart. Can we just take a moment to pray? Heavenly Father, let your Holy Spirit work in us right now. Jesus, the model that you laid out for us is so amazing. You showed us what a true Father's heart is. And that's what a good leader is, a father and mother in Christ. Someone who nurtures, someone who wants their children to excel and grow, that doesn't control them but equips them. Jesus, what you modeled for us is so amazing. And we try to, we try to do that. Sometimes we don't always attain that. But Lord, today we just take a moment. For some here in the room, Lord, and I've had to do this in the past, even this week, 
We ask you to forgive us for times when we have not properly handled crisis or grievances that we've had. We've gossiped, we've slandered against leaders. We've risen up against them. Lord, we ask you to forgive us today. Others here, Lord, have been hurt by insurrections like Korah fomented, Lord, many thousand years ago. But Lord, I just pray that where the wounds have landed, that you would heal hearts today. How many of you would say, God's doing something in me? Just raise your hand. Is the Lord speaking to you? Lord, just let your healing flow in our midst today. We just want to say unashamedly, Lord, give us hearts of submission, but also hearts that walk and embrace truth. Help these principles to live in us, God, to be powerful in us, we pray. We thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.